Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio. Thank you, David Sachs, for taking some time and uh, hanging out. Oh, you're really all screwed up, yeah. Oh, I know the cables are, uh, that's okay. The maid will come in and clean it all up, don't worry. So, David Sachs, thank you for coming in. And you have a book out, The Revenge of Analog. True. Notice I said book too, not ebook. I'm on both available in all formats. There you go. I'm on the trolley. So give us the synopsis. We'll start off with the obvious and easy kind of question. What is the revenge of analog? Well, the revenge of analog describes, um, I guess, a phenomenon that's been happening over the past decade or so. And really, you know, it's it's at the time when we assume that digital services, digital goods would completely replace and almost erase their analog equivalents. Digital cameras would replace film photography. Streaming MP3s would replace vinyl records. Um, you know, ebooks would replace paper books, as you said. Uh, Amazon would get rid of all retail. And, you know, initially that appeared to be happening and, and there's been sort of big decreases in the numbers of a lot of analog businesses, whether they make things or sell things or distribute them. But what's been interesting is that over the past 10 years or so, there's been this new growth in analog goods and ideas and services that's been, you know, kind of flying counter to the expectations of everybody in both the technology industry and in the industries that that those things are in. Is it flying counter because people are kind of rediscovering it or is it just because of tastes are shifting as well? What's kind of driving that kind of like the pushback where like we thought newspapers were done, but they're not quite done. Mm-hmm. We thought vinyl was done. Uh, media completely wrote off vinyl. That's come back like a zombie. Is it what is driving that? Is that taste? I, I think it's I think it's kind of both of the, the aspects of what you said. Right. Um, uh, taste has changed. And I think that's because let's take vinyl, for example, you know. In the 1970s, if you wanted to listen to recorded music, you had to buy a record. You had no other option. Um, and then, you know, you had various options, cassette tapes, CDs. But really by the 2000s, you know, digital music was becoming sort of the dominant force. Especially and, after Napster. Especially after Napster. And really, you know, in around 2006, which is the low point of vinyl sales and vinyl production, you know, the historical low, right? Less than a million records pressed that year in the US. That's the year that that Spotify comes out and um, streaming becomes widely, starts becoming widely available. And actually what's interesting is as streaming has grown, that the, the growth of vinyl is sort of paralleled in its smaller but significant way because what does that do? You know, with Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal or whatever, you suddenly have the ability to listen to whatever you want, wherever you want to listen to it, pretty much for free. Music is free. The quality is very good. And um, you're sort of limitless. But what that does is it allows people to, one, sort of free up their time and mental energy and money to be able to then go out and sort of say, well, I really love, you know, the Rolling Stones. So I'm going to go buy that album that I can listen to anywhere on, on, on my phone. I'm going to go buy that now on vinyl. So I have it. So I have something in my house. But I think the other thing is that, you know, it's kind of like the Joni Mitchell song, right? You don't know what you got till it's gone. And I think that is the case with a lot of these analog formats and technologies where it's like, when when they're the standard, when they're kind of the default, you're like, oh God, I wish I could have some sort of form of music that could be much more portable than this and didn't skip and I didn't have to pay as much money or go into stores or worry about it scratching. And then all of a sudden you have that 
And then you suddenly see the benefits of the thing that you got rid of. You suddenly see the benefits of, you know, this heavy uh, piece of melted plastic and the paper that's on it because, well, that one has art. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can give it to someone. You can sell it. You can buy it. Um, The disadvantages suddenly become advantages. Yeah, it's what what you're saying is basically analog becomes a more holistic experience too, right? Taking the vinyl out of the, the sleeve, putting the needle on, those kind of things, those are experiences. Whereas with Spotify, you just find the Rihanna song, push play, and then just do what, clean the house or work out or whatever you're doing. Right. Yeah. And, and digital technology provides the most convenient, cost effective form of doing things, but you are sacrificing something to that. And that is the physicality of it. That is the the haptic experience of having to touch things, smell things, feel them. Um, and there's a both a pleasure and kind of a productivity in in that that's valuable and that people i think now over the past couple of years have actually started to say hey i want this and i'm willing to pay for it is also what you're talking about raw might be the right word where like i find that sometimes with like certain like say jay-z albums the production is very good it's very polished but sometimes you want that kind of underground album or like a live bootleg or something that's a little bit more raw unvarnished unpolished Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of what the analog experience is is sometimes people get like it's sometimes it's too perfect it's too like you said the digital audio quality for like spotify in these places is really good you kind of want that like scratchy you want that unpolished right i and and i think that's true of you know photography and it's true of art and it's true of so many things where you know that the endless perfection, the endless corrections that you can do with digital technology, with software, in something like recorded music, right? With Pro Tools, you can, you know, perfect the drum beat so it's exactly right. And you could auto-tune the vocals and you could add all these sounds and so easily so it's the perfect record. But that's not the perfect record, right? The perfect record is, you know, a run DMC record from the 1980s that was recorded on far less sophisticated and imperfect technology. But those imperfections is what makes it sound great um, compared to the bubblegum sort of pop or overly produced sounds that, you know, tend to dominate. And is part of this being fueled by nostalgia as well? Are young people getting on board as well? Because the oldies, like... You and I are somewhat spring chickens still, but uh, we're, oldies. we're oldies. But we are kind of, I've gone through like typewriters to computers. I've gone through vinyl to Spotify. Um, I've gone through a number of these movements. But is this, a, is this a movement that's kind of being fueled by nostalgia or are the young people kind of getting on board on this too? I, I think there's obviously an element of nostalgia at play um, and that might be, get people curious in it. But I think, you know, these things stand on their own merit. And the fact is, this phenomenon, at least from a consumer perspective, is being driven by people who are your millennials um, or even those younger than them, who for them, you know, this is new technology. It's, you know, you, you show them a record player. They're like, oh, I remember that. They don't remember that from their parents' house. Their parents had CDs or, you know, MP3 players. To them, it's something totally new and and is almost magical in its way. So it stands on its own merits. I think nostalgia can get people interested in it, but the continued growth of this points to something that's much deeper. What kind of sparked all this? What did, when did you start seeing these kind of patterns and started realizing that like vinyl clearly wasn't going away? Uh, paper, you had a whole chapter on moleskins, for example, another one on photography on Polaroid. When did you start seeing like this pattern and when did this stuff started coming back? 
that you decided you wanted to kind of explore this? Yeah. Uh, for me, it began about a decade ago, 2007, here in Toronto when I was living with a roommate of mine and and we had just kind of digitized our music collection, taken all our CDs, put them into iTunes, figured out a way to stream that wirelessly to the stereo. And very shortly after that, we had gotten a turntable and and a bunch of records from his parents. They were kind of clearing out their basement. And we had these conversations comparing not just the sound, because in some cases the MP3 would be better, but the experience. But I, I want to touch upon something you uh, brought up in the introduction. You only mentioned it once, but I thought it was kind of interesting. You talk about a, um, you you went to a Jewish retreat reboot. Do you remember when you mentioned this in the introduction? Mm-hmm. Does having a Jewish background kind of help reframe or kind of give you a reference point because the jewish culture is very much analog like you light the menorah there's no app for that there's a lot of oral traditions there's a lot of people are trying to make apps for it i I guarantee you that but yeah i'm sure there is but generally it is a very much kind of like an analog experience Mm -hmm. and did that kind of help inform or kind of frame some of your experiences that you started exploring this area um that's a really interesting question i mean i think most of it, no, because it was it's a universal phenomenon. You know, this this book's been published in I'm going to speak in South Korea. The book's been published in Austria and and in in Brazil. And it, you know, this is happening all over the world. Um, uh, the part of it that interested me, which I didn't end up writing too much about, but I would love to, that relates to religion is this idea that you know one of the reasons we're drawn to this and the importance of you know preserving an analog um, world is that it does kind of tap into what, you know, we can call a soul, right? There's more soul to it. There's soul to a record. There's soul to a book. And most importantly, there is soul to the idea of people getting together face to face and having experiences, conversations, even, you know, spiritual gatherings. Uh, You know, it's, it's the Jewish New Year this week. I'm going to synagogue on Thursday and Friday with my family, not because I'm particularly religious or spiritual, which I'm really not, but it's that sitting together, being part of that tribe, being with those other people. Community. Yeah. Like I could listen to the same, you know, lectures by the rabbi online, I suppose. And there are apps that sort of try to replicate that, but it's not the same. I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote about this for an article, but not in the book. But a couple of years ago, I was at this same Jewish retreat, which is a lot of people who are in creative fields, um, you know, whether they're in entertainment or media or, um, uh, you know, technology, it's, you know, it's the Jewish media conspiracy in one hotel. <laughs> um, and anyway, they, you know, people talk about how they can new ideas. It's kind of like the left field lab you were talking about. At yeah. Los and, uh, and not in uh, Los Angeles, the JPL. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, one of the things was, oh, how can we reboot Jewish traditions? And, you know, one, someone had this idea of a Shiva app and a Shiva is the morning period after someone dies where, you know, for seven days you are in the house of mourning and the family is there and they receive visitors and and there's a protocol for how it's done, but really it's about people being there. And it's like, well, what if imagine you couldn't be there so you could just, you know, pay your virtual respects to people and, and, you know, you could send like cards and emojis and things that, you know, messages and that would give it across without the inconvenience of having to, you know, sit in a house for eight days. And I'm like, no, that's the fucking point is that you're sitting with these people, even if you don't say anything, even if you're making small talk, you know, it's not about it. The ritual is the presence of other human beings at a time of grief. 
And so I, I, I think there's something deeper to that. But while I was doing research for this, you know, the book focuses more on kind of the business of this and the commercial phenomenon of this. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it didn't play as much of a role in, in the day-to-day. It makes book. sense what you're saying. Like, I think this is where one of the traps that a lot of people fall into uh, with social media where they get excited for like, they see certain parts of somebody's life and they're like, wow, you live a good life. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you have kids. So it's like people always put the little cute Halloween photo up and it's a little pumpkin yeah. or something. And they went, oh, and they get lots of likes. But I have enough friends who have kids and I know that one of them is up at 3 a.m. with some kid who's puking or like uh, crying and they can't go to sleep and they have a big meeting the next day. Like there's a reality to kids that's just not on Facebook. And that's the kind of um, choices that we make in terms of how we share our lives and on Instagram, Facebook, on all the social media. And, and I think we have to realize that the digital world, as good as it is, is just a... Sham? Is it? No, it, it is a sham. <laughs> um, but it is it is at its best you know, it does a decent job of replicating reality, but reality is still, you know, where the action is. Reality is the everything. And, and I think that's the analog world. That's, that's, that is analog. And, and I think the idea that we were just going to replace that wholesale is a fantasy that so many of us bought into, whether it was from a financial sense or from a cultural sense, um, or even the sense of our personal lives. And I think that's something that we're now realizing, you know, 10 years after having the iPhone, 20 years after having, you know, high-speed internet, 30 years after having PCs, like that's something that we're now realizing there's more to life than this. And we actually want those parts of the world that are tangible to stay and we value them now. We see what the value they uh, uh, we see the value that they have. Is that kind of the responses you've been getting from the book or just people kind of just calling you a luddite and then kind of like writing you off? No, I haven't I I wish I was, I wish I was written off and called that more. Um, There's been very few criticisms around that. If anything, there's been criticisms of, well, I didn't go deeper enough into that soulful aspect of it. But I think, you know, there's been what it's, it certainly has hit a nerve with, with, with a lot of people um, again, around the world who, who have that feeling. I think it's that that same apprehension that many of us have when we realize we've been spending all day looking at our phones. Um, I, I think it's that feeling of knowing that everybody has some analog passion. Some people it's records, some people it's books. Um, for some people it's, it's, you know, going to bookstores and shopping or going to libraries. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the book kind of speaks to why that is and, and, and that it's actually, you know, not some flash in the pan, small thing, but it is, it is global and it's growing. But the media seems to have missed that though. It seems to be like out of step. That's, I think partly one of the, the sub themes of your book was just like question the narrative, right? Right. It felt like the media was saying like one thing, like books are dead and nobody's going to go to a bookstore anymore right. and things like that. And you're like, actually, they're doing quite fine. Vinyl's doing quite fine. Moleskins yeah. are doing quite fine. So how how did the media kind of miss it, or just they just kind of accepted the narrative, I guess, and then just kind of went with it? Well, that's it, right? We we you and I, members of the media, um, uh, we love you know people love a good tidy story, right? It's it's like you know any fairy tale any story it's you know it, it has a beginning middle and end and the good guys win and that's how it is and happily ever is, after yeah or whatever right like history is a, is a linear thing 
And I think in the story that we, we like with technology is that the old technology is sort of wiped away by the new and we move forward and that's progress and that's the world that we're moving towards this sort of wonderful, beautiful endpoint that, you know, the singularity, whatever the hell you want to call it. The horizon. The, the event horizon. There yes, you go. Exactly. Judgment day. <laughs> um, so, um, good reference. Yes. Our millennial viewers will have to have that explained to them. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, the reality is that, you know, the world doesn't move in this straight linear line. Things are not a, 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 a perfect, um, trajectory of progress. It, things move forward and back. And often we go back to the past and bring back the ideas and things that we actually like with us. And that is almost a better version, a more wholesome version of progress, right? Think about the food industry, you know, in the 1960s or 70s, if you said, yeah, and in, you know, 20 years, we're going to go back to, you know, making fresh squeezed orange juice and paying for, you know, gardens and, and going to farmer's markets. And people are like, no, no, we did away with that. We have progress now. We have Tang, we have McDonald's, we have, you know, a microwave oven. It's like, no, no, no one's going to actually cook things in those anymore. They're just going to be for reheating soup. <laughs> um, because progress is, was, was, you know, a conversation, I guess, of, what is new, what works and what doesn't and how we sort of adapt the new and the old together. But progress is not linear either. I think right. That's... And I think that's that's it, right? Progress is not linear. Progress can be, progress is the fact that I, when I'm, you know, walking around the city, can listen to whatever I want on Spotify, but then go home and listen to records. And I have that choice and I can do both. That's progress, right? Just having one is is not progress it's 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 oppressive what you're saying is like it's almost similar to like a subway because a subway will go one station then the next station then the next station and it's just going down a straight track and you can follow the chart because you have the map but the perception is that that it's a subway and it's just going down and it's like well we went from like uh we went from vinyl then we went to cd then we went to cassette and then like you just keep going down the line right up to C uh, sony walkman right up to zoom uh, uh apple yeah, ipod nice that. well done uh good you're welcome reference. good zoom brought to you by zoom and you keep going down and it feels like it's a subway stop right it's just like one stop right all aboard here's like cassettes right here's cds and you keep going but that makes sense what you're saying because it isn't time and progress are not linear so it wouldn't go in that straight line like it would surprise people i think you just have to allow yourself like the room to be surprised mm -hmm. that makes sense so the book is coming out in paperback you said in october or november i think so yeah november beginning of november all right. And what are you going to, what are you working on now? What's kind of caught your fancy or what kind of uh, caves are you exploring now? Oh, uh, you know, I've, uh, now I'm working on, I used to write a book. I wrote about food and I'm writing books about food. So I'm writing more about kind of, I've always been interested in the, you know, the immigrant entrepreneur, especially in the food business. I'm writing some stories about that. I'm writing some stuff around, trying to write some stuff around technology. You know, one of the parts of the book that I really found interesting was, you know, analogs place in education and, often that the this idea of progress whereas oh the future of school is going to be mobile and everything's going to be digital in all classes hello we you know lectures delivered wirelessly over devices and we won't have teachers in classes and so many schools and districts and countries have bought into this 
and, you know, given out iPads and given out laptops and, you know, wired every classroom so that it's, you can have wireless internet. Kids can bring devices to classes. And now they're seeing the effects of this, which is that it doesn't actually help learning. It's been really terrible for, you know, performance test scores. And it's created this host of other problems, um, chief of which is just, hey, now you can, you know, be distracted constantly in class and you don't just doodle like you have everything you want at your fingertips. So I'm looking at kind of how those places are trying to reel that back in and, and, and kind of refighting this war for attention. That seems to kind of go full circle to what you were saying at the beginning, which is it's not that it's just we miss what we don't have anymore, but it's yeah. also sometimes I think we get oversold on these benefits. Yeah. Well, and that's it, right? The world of technology, the world of Silicon Valley works to sell you a vision of what the future is. And it's salesmanship. Um, you're talking about this you know, book you're reading on YouTube right now. And it's Steampunks. like, hey, yeah, isn't that amazing what you can do? And and it it does it it rarely if ever takes a critical view of it because it's in many ways kind of a utopian ideal of what this can be. But I think it's only with time and use. And hey, look, we've had the iPhone for 10 years. We had social media for just as long. We know what it can do. We know what also it can't do. We know what it does well and we know what it does very poorly. We know where it's a help and we know where it's a huge problem. Um, and it's only with time that we see that. And I think that kind of critical thinking has been really missing from the world of, of technology and our kind of embrace of it. But the more we have that, the better technology we're going to have and the better relationship with technology we're going to have. And I don't want to use the word courage. But that's why I was asking if you got like written off or people called you Ludi, but it's just like, it's having the courage to like, you know what? I'm not really quite comfortable with Spotify. What I want to go back to vinyl. It's like adopting these yeah. things and being able to be outspoken. Yeah. Just having the courage to just take these things and like, let's go back and see what else we've missed. Maybe there's a better use for it. Or, or even, you know, not, not a rejection, right? Again, I, I use Spotify Sometimes more in a given week than I than I will be playing records just because of I'm in the car. I'm not going to be playing records in the car, right? Um, that would be pretty cool though if there was a way. Dope, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my old Cadillac convertible. Yeah, um, until you hit a bump though, then yeah, and then it's gone. Yeah, but I think it's 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 more that the the courage of someone's own convictions to be able to say, you know what, I like listening to records. I like buying records. I know it's irrational to spend hundreds of dollars a year on music that I could theoretically get for free. And take up all that space in your room. And take up all the space in the room. But you know what? That's, that is my choice as an individual. And that's humanity, right? Irrational choices. Like that's all of art is irrational choices. That's, that's all of culture are irrational choices. That's, that's at the heart of that. And that's the human experience, irrational, you know, things that make beauty and, and interesting things in the world. That's a positive note. Let's end it there. Boom. So, thank you, David, for coming in, hanging out, and talking about the revenge of analog. You got it. So, Thanks, Sammy. Thank you.